Tonight we are um, talking about this question. How can I be free from my past? How can you be free from your past? And if we were to have a quick look around this room tonight, we'd, we'd quickly surmise there's a lot of past in this room. Every one of us, you know, some of us are older than others, but every one of us has stuff in our past, both positive, that's influenced us well, and that serves us for the future. That might be education, it might be parenting, it might be any number of factors, friends, which we take with us into the future as a real blessing to help us on our way, even as a Christian. God harnessing things from our past and using them for his glory in the future. But all of us here also will have baggage, will have sin, will have things that prevent us and would hinder us from moving on and following Jesus. And even as we've done this series over these last few weeks about, uh, uh, about uh, um, birds and the bees and massive questions, issues of sex, sexuality, marriage, singles, all of these things are huge issues which we all have experience of. And tonight, I want to just help you as we look at scripture together to walk in the freedom that God intends for you. For some of you here tonight, there will be past hurts from different seasons in your life that are still affecting the way you live today. For some of you, there's pressure to conform to what others want you to think, that you're fearful of disagreeing with your peers. For some of you, your upbringing and culture is unhelpful in you following Christ freely. For some of you, there'll be sinful habits, ruts that you've got into that you're struggling to break free from. And here's the good news tonight, that you can be free. In fact, tonight, at the end of this message, we're going to share bread and wine together, something that Jesus gave his church as a gift to say, This is how you remember that I died for you. So everything tonight is going to cast our mind back to Calvary. We've already been doing it in worship, but we're going to be looking to that also as we take communion together later on. So here's our opening statement to understand God's will for your life. John chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus, the Son of God, says this. If the Son sets you free... You shall be free indeed. Wow. God, the Son of God, Jesus, he says, when I set you free, that is true freedom. So we have to understand straight away that not everything we think of freedom is true freedom. What Jesus says is freedom is freedom. And he's in the business of setting people free. He's in the business of setting you and me free tonight from our past and the things that haunt us and the things that drag us back. The nature of life, therefore, outside of Christ is one of spiritual slavery. That's the opposite of freedom, of poverty and of death. And through the gospel, Jesus changes the status of every person who trusts in him. We become free people. If we can say that Jesus had a mission statement, we would find it in Luke chapter 4 where he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And this is the words that he reads out in Luke 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it seems to be Jesus is all about freedom. Isn't that right? So he's saying, I've come to set captives free. I've come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to set the oppressed free. Recovery of sight for the blind and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we're to understand freedom this way. It's the thing that Jesus gives us. It's not any other definition. It's not a cultural definition. It's not what people might call freedom today. You see, it's very tempting in our culture today. People talk about freedom as just simply being fully autonomous within yourself to make whatever decision you want. And people say, well, that's true freedom. As long as I've got all of the options in front of me, then I'm the freest person in the world. And the mistake of that point of view is this, that all options aren't equal. When God put the first man and the first woman in the garden, all the options weren't equal. He gave them a choice of spiritual death or spiritual life. He didn't say, take your pick, it's 50-50. No, he said, don't eat from this one, eat from this one. And they chose poorly. And life can be, life is full of choices and when we do well to choose wisely and not unwisely. If you were to follow a worldly definition of freedom to its logical conclusion, especially in this preaching series we've been doing on Sunday evenings, here's the logical thing. Well, if freedom is really about me preserving all of my options, if that's what true freedom is, then who would ever get married? Who would ever do that? Who would give up the choice of everybody for the sake of one person who you'll have some ups and downs with over many years? You think, well, that... And to be honest, that plays itself out in our culture today. Apparently, a statistic came out the other day: three percent got married, less married. This three percent people got less married. Three, three percent of people. Three percent less of people. Thank you. Got married this year than last year, and that's been a trend that's been going on year after year after year for decades now. And it's for this reason: people don't want to tie themselves down. That's the, 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 the euphemism you hear, isn't it? You, you don't want to tie the knot because people think that's, that's, that's to be bound. I don't want to be a slave. People joke about the ball and chain. Now, freedom isn't that. Uh, marriage isn't that. Marriage is a wonderful freedom that God brings us into because it's actually following Christ as is wonderful singleness as well. But here's the thing. Who would ever have kids if a worldly definition of freedom? You know, if it's about me just enjoying myself and having all the options, who would ever have kids? They tie you down. They stop you moving around. In fact, they make you never leave the house some days. But the truth is this. True freedom is to follow Jesus into whatever he has for us. And that's the most wonderful and blessed life that you can have. Whereas Jesus says this, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. To actually pursue a life of, of self-pleasure outside of Christ is actually to become a slave to those very things that we think provide us freedom. So that phrase that Jesus used, he said, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that was the concluding word in Luke 4. The reference there, it is thought, is to, to an Old Testament concept 
the year of the Lord's favor, to, to something you read about in Leviticus chapter 25. And it's, it's an old covenant, old covenant reference to a jubilee year that God ordained for the people of Israel. And here's how it was in Old Testament times. There was no welfare state. But everybody had a, an inheritance of land. But what would happen over years is some people would do better than others, life circumstances, all those things. So sometimes people would sell their land to make money and they'd sell it to somebody else. And if people then sold their land they still didn't have any money, they might sell themselves into slavery. But God put special provision in the law to say he didn't want that to be a status quo where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. So at regular intervals, he said the slaves are to go free. And every 50th year, he said all of the original land, whoever it belonged to 50 years ago, it has to go back to the original families. It was God's way of breaking the economic cycle. It's his way of wiping the slate clean and allowing things to begin all over again. It was him restoring normality and order, giving people who had become slaves to debt their freedom back again. And there was a moment on that 50th year, it, was, it happened on the Day of Atonement, which is when the priest atoned for the, the sin of the people in, before the Holy of Holies. And when that happened, somebody sounded a trumpet and when that trumpet was sounded, every slave in Israel and every indebted person in Israel would jump for joy because they knew everything had been restored to them. So when Jesus said, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor over your life and mine, he's saying this, he's come to restore you. He's come to blow a trumpet over your life and he's saying, no more slavery no more indebtedness to God or to others. Romans 8.22 describes Christians this way. It says, we have the freedom and glory of children of God. And that's the identity that God gives us. Have you ever seen uh, the, the film Les Miserables? What kind of crowd have we got here tonight? Let's just see. Some, uh, put, put your hand up. Here, let's take a risk on it. Wow. My goodness. Wow. That's pretty good. How many of you have seen the, um, the, the, the pantomime, the, you know, whatever, the, the, the show? <laughs> wow, some of you, okay. Wow, this, this, is, this is great. So you actually know the story. Well, so you, you remember the central character in it. If you don't know, I'm just going to very briefly explain. The central character in this play is a criminal called Jean Valjean. Yeah, you know the guy? And... He's a prisoner at the start of the film. He's been in prison for 19 years. And as he approaches his parole, yeah, they're singing the song, look down, look down. True story. Did you know that Nat knows the entire soundtrack to Les Miserables off by heart? And um, maybe we could do that as a Sunday social one day, Nat. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> Just so we could do that after. Anyway. Um, right, so... The song that he's singing at the start of the, the, the film is this. Look down, look down, you'll always be... Uh, look, look down, look down, don't look him in the eye. Look down, look down, a slave until you die. And then an evil policeman by the name of Javert kind of looks him in the eye. 
And one last time, he calls him not by his name, but by his prisoner number. And basically says, I'm going to come after you. Once a criminal, always a criminal. And he gives him his paperwork. It's a yellow passport. And this passport simply says on it, this man is dangerous, this man is untrustworthy. And here's the conditions of parole. You have to carry this, Jean Valjean, wherever you go and show it to everybody you meet. So Jean Valjean, he, not surprisingly, he runs away from his past because nobody wants to do business with somebody you can't trust and who is dangerous. So he runs away from his past. That's the choice all of us have, to run away, to avoid our past, to not deal with it, to not think about it. Or, here's the wonder of the gospel. We receive new paperwork from Jesus. And he declares us righteous in his sight. And here's a choice that you and I have to make. Here's part one, if you like, of walking free. It's to understand that Jesus gives you new paperwork over your life. He doesn't say a sinner until you die. Jesus calls you a saint. You think, well, that's a bit rich. That doesn't really describe my life. From the day you believe in Jesus, he calls you righteous. He calls you a child of God. This is how you fight the fight of faith. It's through knowing your new identity in Christ. This is who you are now. Forgiven by God. Loved by him. Justified by him. That has power. Jesus deals with the penalty of sin. He takes the, the, the penalty and wipes our slate clean. In Romans chapter 4 verse 7. Speaking of people who have put their trust in Jesus. It says this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. He says the same thing three times in three different ways. Forgiven, covered, never counted against you. Forgiven, covered, Never counted against you. Often the Bible does that for emphasis. When it says something three times in different ways, it says, I really want you to understand this. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be forgiven, covered, to have your sins never counted against you. It's quite an amazing thought. When you think of the God of the universe who knows everything and created everything, And Jesus reminds us that that same God, he knows the number of hairs on your head. That same God, he knew you in your mother's womb. That same God says he knows our thoughts from afar. That same God who the Bible says before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. Which is pretty amazing because I often don't know what I'm going to say next. But he does, and he knows what you're going to say. So the God who knows everything about you, whether you've disclosed that to him or not, that same God looks at your life and he says, well, I don't remember your sin. I don't remember anything that you've done that is wrong. Your slate has been wiped clean. You are not guilty in his sight. He chooses to forgive and forget Jesus deals with the penalty of sin. He deals with the pollution of sin. He's the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. 
But here's the thing about this God as he works in our life and he works with the past. Have you ever done that thing on a computer where it just crashes completely so you, you do the alt-control-delete thing? Have you ever done that? Never done that, okay. Have you ever just pressed that button for a long time to make sure, to basically stop it and make it start again? And all, it forgets everything, it loses all your work and all of that, but at least it comes back to life. Sometimes we imagine that God might do something like that in our lives. That, you know, with our past, well, wouldn't it be God if God just reset it? If he just got rid of it? Here's the thing, God doesn't get rid of your past. We all have pasts. He forgives you, he cleanses you, but then he does this amazing thing. He redeems your past. And he takes what was broken and he fixes it. And he takes what is weak and he makes it glorious. He deals with the power of sin. And here's the first, so the, the first thing is to, is, is to know that your sin is dealt with by Jesus. But here's the second part of how we walk free from our past, and it's to act differently. It's to act in the truth of what God says about you. And God says the power of sin is broken in your life. If you've got a Bible, you can have a quick look in Romans chapter 6. Paul uses the image of baptism, of being plunged in water and pulled out again, to, to liken our Christian life in being united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Here's his logical question based on the gospel. That Here's the big idea. If God loves forgiving sin, and if the way God forgives us when we sin is so wonderful and so glorious that everybody will look at him and say, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he incredible that he can forgive Dan Hudson? Then wouldn't a legitimate response from Dan Hudson be, well, maybe I could do a bit more of that to show how wonderful God is and how loving and forgiving he is. I could just sin a little bit more and then God gets more glory. That sounds logical, doesn't it? That's kind of what he's driving at. And he says, well, no, by no means. But here's his answer. He says, it's not because you're going to lose your salvation if you do it. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So this is the relationship that the Apostle Paul describes of you to your past. He says, you have died. You have died to your sin. Verse 6, it says, our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Verse 7, anyone who has died is set free from sin. So this can sound a little bit wordy and a bit kind of theoretical. Okay, let me ask you the question. If you have an addiction of any kind whether that to be a substance, whether it be to pornography, those things are powerful addictions. And the question is, how do they get broken? Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Dead people don't have addictions. He says, 
I can put any website in the world in front of a dead person, and they will have no response to it. I can give, I can wave heroin underneath an addict's nose. If they're dead, they will have no response to it. Why? Because they're dead. And the point he's making is this: that in Christ, this theological statement has been made of you. You have died. The old you is no more. It's died with Christ. You're united with Christ in His death. Here's how you walk free from sin: it's to understand the truth that you died with Christ. You were crucified with Him. But then it doesn't stop there. It says Jesus rose from death. Uh, go on to the next slide, please. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death has no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you will obey its evil desires. Here's what he's saying: Did death define who Jesus was? No. What defines who Jesus is? The resurrection. He's alive from the dead. He's a, he says, "Yeah, I was dead, but now I'm alive." He didn't walk around the planet after he died saying, "Yeah, I'm the dead guy." No, he said, "I'm the alive guy." If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're united with Him, what you're saying is this: I'm alive with Him, and the thing that defines me isn't my old way of life anymore. It's not what I used to do. It's not the habits I picked up and, and had entrenched into my life from childhood or whatever it is. My life is now identified with Christ, and just as He's been raised from death, and the thing that defines Him is the life of God. So the thing that defines the Christian life isn't their old way of life, but the life of Jesus working in them now. And that's the life that is working in you. This is the freedom trumpet that's been sounded over your life. There was a, a famous escapologist called Harold Houdini, and he lived many years ago. But he he could escape from any straitjacket. He could escape from any box that they. Put him in. He was quite remarkable. He would challenge people. He said, "Lock me in any room, and I will follow you." And 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 he just did it every time. No, no sooner had somebody locked the door on him, and he'd be following them out the door, and people didn't know how he did it. But there was one time when he started picking away at a lock. He was locked in a prison cell, and he started picking away at the lock, and he he. Got going. One minute passed. Two minutes. Five minutes. Ten minutes. He was getting pretty irate by this point. After half an hour, he yells, "I can't do it!" And he pushes the door, and it just goes open. It was never locked. He spent half an hour trying to unpick a lock for a door that was already open. As a Christian, don't pick locks that have already been opened for you. The cross, the work of Jesus, sets you free. The trumpet call of God on your life has been announced. You're a free. You're no longer a slave. Put your trust in the freedom that He has brought for you. Here's some other things that、uh, the, the cross has brought you freedom from. 
we'll just go through some of these. They won't come up on the screen. But it, it, you're free from a meaningless existence. So many people these days wonder what the purpose of life is. And this is what the Bible says. It says, you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus gives your life hope and meaning. Here's another thing. Jesus says that you are now free from fear. Romans chapter 8 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. God has brought about your freedom from fear, especially in your relationship with him. Here's another thing he has come to set you free from. He's come to set you free from the lies of an enemy. Satan is described by Jesus as the father of lies. He lied to Eve and to Adam in the garden, and he's been doing it ever since. He's described in Revelation 2 as the accuser of the brothers, accusing them day and night, day and night. And here's something that Satan will whisper to Christians if he's given a chance. He'll say things like, you never change. Nobody loves you. God doesn't love you. Here's the truth that you're set free from the lies of the enemy through the work of Jesus. Jesus says that you can be free from all bitterness. Ephesians 4 says, forgive each other as in Christ God forgave you. He's saying that the things that hurt you in the past, in Christ you can walk free of those things. He says that you can be free from individualistic thinking. 1 Peter 2 says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. By being in community, you find your purpose and your meaning. I was uh, working out in the, the gym the other day. Not that I do that very often, but I, 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 was, I, was, I was on a running machine. I'm trying to run. And there was, a, there was this thing. When you're on a treadmill and there's nobody else running alongside you, it feels really hard work. But there was this great guy next to me. I mean, he must have been about, you know, 65 or something. But he was just going at it. And he went for like 45 minutes. And... When he started, suddenly I found my speed picked up. I wasn't going to be outdone by an old guy. <laughs> it's easier to run when you've got other runners alongside you. And here's the wonder of the gospel. It delivers us from individualistic thinking. It brings us into community. Jesus saves us and frees us from that individualism that is harming to ourselves. Jesus says that you one day will be free from sickness of the mind and of the body. That might happen in this life. Sometimes the kingdom of God comes in this life powerfully. Healings happen. Not for everybody. In Luke 13, Jesus described a woman who'd who'd, uh, had internal bleeding for years. And he describes her this way. He says, yeah, Satan had kept her bound for 18 long years. But he sets her free. It could be tonight that Jesus sets you free from sickness. He'll certainly do that in the future. 
In Revelation 21, it talks about this new world where there'll be no more death or crying or mourning or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Where the victory that we were singing about tonight and we were prophesying about, where we were saying, where, O oh, death, is your sting? That's the freedom that Jesus is bringing into your life. So it's to act different, it's to think different, it's to see yourself different. Let me give you three other things in closing to help us fight this fight of faith as we seek to be free from our past. So that's the first one. It's to acknowledge the work of God, the trumpet call of God, that he says you're free indeed. But here's some things that you can do. Pursue transformation. Don't be a passive conformer to the worldly values that surround you. But do be actively transformed into Christ-likeness by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What that's saying is important. Paul isn't saying, easy peasy, Jesus did it all. What's the problem? He's saying this requires engagement on your part and mine to renew those thought processes that automatically tend to lead us back into that old way of thinking. We have to have our minds renewed. You ever seen um, like a farmer's field where a, a tractor has gone along it and it's got deep furrowed paths? And if you, ever, if you ever tried to drive along a farm track with a normal car and you try and take any other path other than the one that the tractor has kind of done, it's impossible because you just keep getting pulled back into the furrows again. Well, it's like that with the renewing of the mind. Sometimes we've had thought patterns, behaviors that we've just done year after year after year. We just look at somebody and we automatically begin to think a certain thought pattern. We think, oh, that's not godly. Well, here's what happens as a Christian. The Holy Spirit works in your life. We take thoughts captive. We understand those behaviors and we say, Lord, just help me with this. And here's the wonderful thing, he will. He's transforming you from one degree of glory to another. Here's the second thing that you can do. So you pursue transformation. Secondly, pursue transparency. One John one seven says, "If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin." How we apply the gospel is so vital. Sometimes we'd like to take that verse and we say, well, you know, I'm okay with the second bit. I'll just talk to Jesus about stuff and he'll forgive me. And true freedom comes when we talk to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. That happens every time we come to him. But if we want behavioral freedom, then we need to start talking to friends. Start talking to people who love us and support us and say, look, this is a bit of an issue for me. And the Bible says this remarkable thing. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to every human being. 
That's to say, you will never confess a sin to somebody where they'll say, really? Never heard of that one before. See, we, we all have very similar tendencies. And when we walk in the light, the power of God comes into our lives. You can receive grace from God. Pursue transparency. Here's the third uh, and, and final thing. Pursue a resistance mentality. Is temptation sin? No, it's not. Temptation is something that's designed to make us sin. It's when the enemy comes and tries to pull us away. He did it with Jesus. Now, when we're tempted, we can feel like it is sin. We can feel bad about it. We can feel I'm not very holy because I'm being tempted. But what temptation is meant to do is to gird us into action where we think it's time to dig in and resist. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. What do we do? What does it mean to resist? It means this. It means to pray to God for help. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he, says, he said, pray, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. This is what it means to pursue resistance. It's to say to God, I find it helps me to pray at the beginning of the day because often by the time I'm lost in temptation, I feel weak at that point. I find if God strengthens me as I pray earlier in the day, I find that so helpful. Pray, God, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Lean on him. Lean on him in the hour of temptation. Lean on him and say, God, I need you right now. Run away if you have to. Find a different place. Get out of the situation. And God will give you grace. Be a resistance fighter. Be somebody who pursues resistance. Because here's the promise of God over your life. 1 John 3.8 says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So here's God's total commitment to your life. He's going to break the power of past sin. He already has at the cross. But he's committed to helping you to rule and to reign, to walk free, to walk strong in the face of temptation and to walk free of your past. So let's, uh, let's respond together. If we could have the musicians back and we're going to sing, we're going to have communion together as we respond in these last few moments. Why don't you just turn your hearts to God and let's receive his grace afresh tonight. Let's cast our mind back to Calvary where the trumpet call of God was announced when Jesus said these words, it is finished. It is finished. The battle has been won. All the rest is now just applying the battle.